Coming up on Up in the Blue Seats, the Rangers begin 2020 still competing for a playoff spot. Where do they stand in a playoff race right now? Long time, New York Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks joins us. We also chat with former Ranger Chris Nyland about being a Bruins fan that hated the Rangers to then being traded to the Blue Shirts, as well as overcoming addiction. We also hear from Rangers legend Adam Graves. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate the show five stars. Write a nice review. The post-Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks joins the show today. Former Ranger Chris Nyland joins the show today. And we'll also hear clips from Rangers legend Adam Graves. But now, here he is. We're going to do a little different this week as we bring in Ron Duguay, the host of the show now. Ron, happy new year to you. You celebrate a new year in a unique way. People wanting to experience Times Square once in their life and doing it once, I kind of disagree with that. But you did it in a special way that it makes a little bit more sense to do it that way. I've been in New York, well, six decades now. And through those six decades, I've made a lot of friends. And a lot of my friends were for the NYPD. And because of that, I have, because of that special relationship, I have access to special opportunities. And one of those opportunities was... To be uh, nearby Times Square where the ball gets dropped at a uh, friend's restaurant, and that's the Hunt Fish Club. But part of that Hunt Fish Club celebration, not only did we have dinner, but we had fellow NYPD there. And what they decided they wanted to do something special for us going through this new decade, they escorted us a small crew of us, and I was there. We all know Coach Mike Keenan. Mike Keenan was there. So there was a small crew of us that were escorted towards the front of the line in a private area. So uh, that would, you know, for people who say you got experience, the bump and the grime, which is okay. A lot of tourists there, and they don't mind. But for me, I, I needed some privacy and some security. So that, for me, was my experience this year going into this new decade of being able to actually see the ball, feel the energy of Times Square because I was surrounded by millions of people, and to be with some friends. You got like the Steve Harvey treatment, the guy hosting the show. You didn't have to worry about peeing your pants or wearing a diaper or being stuck there for eight hours with the tours. You went to your fish club. You probably had a nice five-star steak dinner. And then you came down and were in an exclusive corner and that's how you bring in the new decade with a bang. That's how you do it. Yeah, because when I look back at the last decade or the last six decades, I have a lot of fond memories from one decade to the other. You know, it all started in 77, and now I'm going into 2020. Uh, a lot of memories. When I look back at this past decade, I think about uh, having been really close to the New York Rangers doing MSG, MSG TV analyst. Uh, I got to experience a lot of fun playoff hockey and a lot of that has to do with your relationship with the fans. And so I, and that one year in particular, 2014, where the team went to the Stanley Cup Finals, it wasn't expected. We knew that they had a good team, wasn't sure how far they can go, but they took it to the finals. And all the levels of 
energy that kind of grows with every playoff round. You end up in June, and now it's beautiful outside. It's Madison Square Garden, and the anticipation of what might happen, and they were so close. So that one year I really liked, and a lot of it has to do, it's not just the team itself, but the team, the players, Zuccarello, Rick Nash, Lundquist, and then the relationship with the fans. So I, I this past decade, really good, really a lot of fun. Moving forward, new beginnings, new beginnings for me. Uh, with me doing what I'm doing now, working with the New York Post, our podcast. I'm loving it. Uh, I still get to talk New York Ranger hockey. And uh, when I think about the team itself, New Year's resolution, well, right now they're competing for a playoff spot. And I think uh, some may uh, think that it's not time now. We're close. Good young team. But I would love to think that this team is will, will compete every single game. And I know Coach Quinn prepares them to think you have to – play this game like it's the game that's going to get you in the playoffs. So I'm I'm hoping and I believe we're going to see a young team that's going to continue scoring those three goals a game. They just need to come back and play better defense. But now let's bring in the guy covering the blue shirts in the locker room. And I'm going to welcome in now Rangers beat writer from the New York Post, Larry Brooks. You can follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Read his stories in the post and at newyorkpost.com. Larry, welcome in. Uh, Happy New Year's. And I guess I want to get started because the past decade, when I think about the past decade, I have a lot of fond memories as far as being able to uh, had the opportunity to follow the Rangers closely, having worked at at MSG and uh, a lot of um, playoff hockey. And so for you, I got to ask you, you being so close, you having feeling the heartbeat of the New York Rangers, you've been around for so long. What was any kind of special moment for you in this past decade? I think the run from pretty much 11, 12 through, oh, 16, 17, you know, you were around a good team all the time. You were, you, for the most part, were watching good hockey almost every night. And then you've got the added bonus of covering big time games every April and May and one year into June. So uh, it, it became a standard for me, honestly. And I'd cover, I listen, I've covered a lot of very good teams. I've covered cup winners. I've covered a lot of very bad teams, covered a lot of teams that didn't make the playoffs either. And now going through this cycle here with the Rangers covering this rebuilding team that's missed the playoffs the last couple of years, may or may not miss it this year. I'm I'm reminded of how I took for granted covering a good team. And it's something I'm trying to remind myself if I if it when the Rangers return to prominence, if I'm still here, um uh, I'm I'm I want to remind myself to to enjoy it because it doesn't last forever. Yes, I agree with you. And and there I know you mentioned the team itself, but any player in particular that you were really kind of fond of, fond of? Oh, yeah, obviously. You know, when, when you're around a person like Henrik Lundqvist and you get to watch him play every night and you get to deal with him essentially every day, you appreciate the value of good people and good players. Um, it's so important when you're around a team all the time to have those kinds of players. And, you know, Lundqvist was not alone. I and mean, Rick Nash happens to be one of the nicest guys I've ever met covering hockey. Um, just a, a well-meaning person who is a nice person. And there were others. And, you know, I don't, you know, it's not just two. But 
uh, I would say Nash, Derek Stepan being there from the beginning. When you when you meet kids and and they're 18 years old, and then you you cover them for an entire career, you have it, you do, or at least me. I develop a certain attachment to them, and and that's why I enjoyed being around Derek Stepan, and I enjoyed being around Ryan Callahan, and I enjoyed being around. Uh, uh, you know Dan Girardi and Ryan McDonough. You 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 meet these people when they're 18. A lot of them you meet the day their night they're drafted. You know, and then you cover them and you follow them for another six, seven, nine, ten, twelve with Lundquist forever. Um, it's it's a special. You 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 develop relationships with these guys, and that's probably what I enjoyed as much as watching the games. But there were some some great great playoff games yeah so now moving forward i think you're going through uh it's a different cycle but similar with the new players very likable team it's a team that's contending right now playing hard they're fun to watch they ended the season not the way they wanted to end the season in edmonton having six goals scored against them they pulled their goaltender a uh, coach quinn out of character gets a, a unsportsmanlike penalty and so what can you tell me about the way they ended it was it a lot of uh, an indication of the i guess the issue of the problems they've been having the inconsistency it's a young team very young team averages three goals a game but it really exposed in edmonton again yeah they're they, you know they're 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 a team that you're, you're as a young team they seem to lose confidence pretty quickly and when they're penalty killing um as a tough night it is a really tough night i mean you you cannot survive these games where you allow three power play goals against. It's very, very tough. They give up one. It's, it's, it kind of snowballs on them. They're, they're not, uh, they're not physically strong enough in their one-on-one battles. Their, their coverage is still suspect, but they play hard and, and they, and they don't give up. Honestly, they, they don't, they, they don't give up. And they've got those two guys right now, right now at the top in Panarin and Zibanejad who are capable of performing magic on their own. And when you have players of that elite level playing at that elite level, and Mika Zibanejad is, is, has played on an elite level now for a year and a half. Um, I don't know whether he's considered an elite player in the NHL. You, you know, there are always gradations of, of elite and excellent and A and A+. Plus. But right now, uh, Mika Zibanejad's, uh, you know, right there. And Panarin is off the charts. And so when you have players like that who are capable of scoring almost at will, bringing the team back, you're always in a game. But that doesn't that doesn't uh, that doesn't make the um, the deficiencies from the other night and that have, have crept into their game again any more acceptable. They're halfway through the season. They're still way too loose. Uh, in their own end, they're they're still way too, way too soft playing the puck. Yeah. Now you mentioned Panarin. We have to make a mention that he will be going to the All Star game. It'll be the first time for a Russian representing the New York Rangers. Have you talked to him about his level of excitement? This is will be his first All Star game. About going to the All Star game? Actually, no. <laughs> because when when the announcement was made, they were gone already. It was after practice the other day, and they were gone. So. I didn't have a chance to talk to him. I, I'm not on this trip, so uh, I, I imagine Brett Sergalis will uh, will handle that and talk to uh, Panarin. But I would listen. He's 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 such a happy guy. He loves to be at the rink. I'm sure he'll be excited. Honest. I, I don't want to speak for him, but um, I would imagine this is pretty special for him. It's all it's incredible, isn't it? This is his first time in an All Star game. It, it doesn't seem possible. No, I know he's. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to I mean, I mentioned that um, in Coach Quinn. He made 
he commented on the league itself and how the game's being played. And he's basically said it's all about offense. So are you seeing a kind of uh, turn in the way the game's being played right now? Because it wasn't that long ago. It was all about defense. You got to play defense. You got to play defense. Now with these new skilled players, I think coaches are struggling and you're seeing some high scoring games. I think the coaches are struggling holding these players back from playing defense and just letting them go and play offense because a lot of goals are going are being scored and a lot of uh, good, exciting players out there. I think it's a challenge. I think it's a real challenge for coaches. I think it's a challenge for teams because while um, this is an offense-driven league right now, I still think it's a defense-driven playoff system. And you have to be able to um, – you have to be able to master basic – defensive fundamentals and precepts if you're going to win anything can you can you squeak into eighth place um by being an uh, you know just an offense first one-way team maybe maybe you can if you get spectacular goaltending and the rangers let's face it the only reason they're in the conversation right now and and they're they're kind of in the periphery but um the only reason they're in the conversation is because they've gotten such good goaltending on such a consistent basis from um Lundqvist and Georgiev. And right now, Lundqvist is outplaying Georgiev. I know a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how, you know, the number one job was kind of in flux and Georgiev had outplayed Lundqvist for a fair amount of time. Well, Hank has bounced back and Hank has outplayed Alex these last couple of weeks. And um, the Rangers need both of them at their best in order to compete. But to get back, you know, to the to your question, you have to be able to be strong on the puck. You have to be able to box out in front. You, you know, you, you, you still have to be able to play defense almost the way it was, it was taught when you were playing. Because in the playoffs, there are a lot of 3-2-2-1 two, and two, one games. Yeah, I guess I just want to end it. Everyone's kind of wondering if you have an update on Lemieux because uh, the fan favorite is not on the ice, and you're kind of seeing a little bit of a difference because the, the energy that he brings when he's not out there, he's notice, it's noticeable that he's not out there. When you talk about the team being a little soft, he's not soft when he plays. I agree. Um, they miss Brendan Lemieux. Um, the only update is that the other day at practice when he wasn't on, of course, I saw him in the room and asked him what happened because nobody saw him get hurt. And he said he got hit by a puck. And that's the, so that's, that's the update on Brendan Lemieux, who's going to be out for a while. And yes, the Rangers miss him because he is on their team, one of a kind. Well, always good talking with you. And next time we'll chat Panarin to see how he's doing with going to the All-Star game. Sounds good to me. From the New York Rangers, number 10, right wing, Ron Duguay. Ron, I had the chance to chat with Rangers legend Adam Graves, Stanley Cup champion, of course, at the Top Spin charity event in New York City, and he talked about what he thinks of the current Rangers and their future. For me, I just like seeing the organic growth of these young guys. And you, you put, bring in a guy like Panarin, and you have guys like Kreider and Henrik, those elder statesmen that are such great leaders, and then you bring in guys like Kako and Fox and Lindgren, and Hayek and all these young guys, and you can see them improving by the day. And 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 it certainly, you know, you're going to have stretches where it's going to be a little up and down. But this team competes on a daily basis. They've got some grit with Lemieux, uh, certainly Smith up on the fourth. I, I love him up on wing. He's been playing outstanding and, and fast. And they've got so much character on that team. They're a fun, fun team to watch. Graves also spoke about that 94 team and people still recognizing him in the streets 
despite having a little less hair. Well, th those that uh, that recognize me, because I, when I played, I had a lot more hair. So, <laughs> but no, I. Quite frankly, it was a privilege to be a part of that team. And as Ron would tell you, it's a privilege to be a Ranger and play in this city. This is an incredible city, the greatest city on earth. And to be a part of it, be a part of the culture, and be a part of the people, it's, it's, uh, it, we're all very, very lucky. I asked Graves about his memories of Ron Duguay and what he thinks of him as a person. He's before my time, but don't tell him that. <laughs> He's got 10 years on me, but when I was a kid, growing up in Toronto and I certainly knew uh, Ron Duguay and I've been up to Sudbury where they retired his jersey and he was and people sometimes they forget how how great a player he was he was an outstanding player great score I mean even today when we get out there and we play together in the alumni games he can still play and he keeps himself in unbelievable shape and just just a super guy and he's be, that's the best part now being retired and, and spending time with other alumni he's become a good friend and that's the special part for me i asked grave about a ron duguay memory and ron told me going into it to ask him about the cruise ship and well the cruise ship came up uh, you know what for me one of my uh, favorite stories is uh, we were on uh, a cruise this was uh, probably about four years ago and uh, we sat at the same table uh with uh, noah him his, his son uh, and him and then my uh, wife violet and our three kids and it was six days of just unbelievable stories and engaging. And I always said that about Ron because uh, you know uh, 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 Ron Duguay, you, you, you're so, uh, I think when you first meet him, it's like, wow, like this guy, is, his presence is, is overwhelming. Uh, but he's got such a good heart. He's, he can talk to uh, people of all ages and he couldn't have been more hospitable. And my kids still talk about that, that week that we got, to, we were lucky enough to spend dinner every night, uh, you know, with uh, uh, with the, the Dugays, and, and it was terrific. All right, Ron. So in this week of Ron remembers, he talked about that cruise ship, and I know all the stories you might not be able to share, but would love to hear you share one of the stories from the Graves and Dugays and that infamous cruise trip. Well, I appreciate Adam, and I appreciate his kind words towards me. Uh, yeah, that cruise ship was uh, something special because it was family. And uh, we, uh, there are certain times where you uh, get to do special things that are um, unique. And this was unique because it was a cruise. It was going to Bermuda, and we got to bring a family with me. And, and often you do these fan fests and you go on your own, but we had the opportunity to bring family. So Adam brought his wife, Violet, and his three kids, and I brought a good friend of mine and my son, Noah. And at the time, my son Noah was 21, so he was a legal of age. And uh, Noah and I lived together. So we're two bachelors living together, and here we are. We're going to go on a cruise, not really knowing what to expect. All I did is I filled him in on what it was going to be like, what I thought it was going to be like. I said, Noah, there's going to be about 125 Ranger fans there. I don't know who they're going to be, but we're just going to be ourselves. We're going to have fun. And the Grays will be there, another alumni, Stefan Mateau. So we had the pleasure of having... Uh, our guest at our table, Adam Grace and the family. And so when we first get there, um, Noah and I decide, well, we're asked to go socialize. And a lot of that socializing was going out at night and just having drinks and meeting fans and, uh, and uh, just being ourselves. And us being ourselves is we like to have fun and laugh. And uh, so Adam, the next day, we'd always show up to the table. And so they, we'd start telling stories. Sometimes with Abbott and I, we'd be talking story, Ranger stories of the past, but they wanted to know about last night. What'd you do last night? And the kids would ask, what'd you do last night? And so it was, you know, what we did was clean, but it was fun. You know, people we'd meet, conversations we'd have. Um, and then there are times where 
we interacted against or with the Graves. And one time we were asked to play this ball hockey game. It was the Graves against the Duguays. And so, and then it was mixed in with a few fans. And so there we are competing. And Violet is on the other side. And if you don't know Violet, she's a very pretty, attractive woman. I think Adam wouldn't mind me saying this. Very attractive. And she's looking really cute. And she's got this stick in her hand. I'm going head to head against her. Next thing you know, we're playing this competitive game. And I, and ever, I looked at Adam and like, She'd be like bumping into me, like hitting me, competing against me. I said, Adam, I'm looking. And he's kind of laughing, right, because he knows how competitive she is. Well, sure enough, I'm trying to block her out, and the game's tied 2-2, and the ball, Adam feeds her, gets the puck on her stick, and shoots and scores, and there's big celebration. So um, it was stories, but it was also competing in a friendly way, and, and it was just a really fine time, not just – um, getting to know the Grave family, how classy he is, and the whole family is, but it was the two families getting together and then the interaction with the Ranger fans. Longtime friend of mine, uh, played in the NHL, over 700 NHL games over 13 years, uh, three separate teams, Boston, Montreal, and of course the New York Rangers. And he had the pleasure on playing in a Stanley Cup finals and actually winning a Stanley Cup in '86. What's really impressive about all this, besides the the way he played the game, the style he played the game, is that in round 19, he was drafted number 231. And within his second year playing professional hockey, found himself playing the NHL. That says a lot about a guy. And he wasn't the guy that uh, played on the first line scoring big goals. He was the guy that you'd call a policeman who took care of players, penalized over 3,000 minutes, my good friend, Chris Nyland. Chris, welcome to the show. Dude, thanks for having me, buddy. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year's to you also. And so, for um, players that have played on different teams in the NHL, for yourself playing in Montreal, big market, you come from Boston, uh, and then coming to New York, what was it like for you to come to New York? What was your experience like? I know you played three years, but what was it like playing three years wearing that New York Ranger jersey, especially as a guy from Boston? Did you ever think that you ever wanted to play for Boston, or were you, like most Boston guys, hated the New York Rangers? You know, I didn't like the Rangers growing up, obviously. That was quite a rivalry, you know, them and Montreal, obviously. But they played back in the original six when I was a kid, the Rangers, I guess. You know, it was the Rangers, New York, uh, and uh, Boston, and and didn't really like them. Now, I never aspired to play for the Rangers. I always wanted to be a Bruin, and I ended up in Montreal. So, um, and it's funny how things worked out down the road. When I got traded from Montreal, I actually got traded to um, St. Louis. Uh, Ron Caron was, uh, uh, you know, director of player development here for years and an assistant to the GM, Serge Shavad at the time. And Serge um, traded me to Ron out in St. Louis when he left. He had left the organization and went to St. Louis. And when I got traded, I was in total shock. And I did not want to go to St. Louis. I wanted to stay in the East. So I said, Serge, I'm not going to St. Louis. And he said, well, you have to go. You're trading. Well, I'm not going, I said. So trade somewhere I want to go. And I said, he said, well, where do you want to go? I said, Boston. He said, I, that ain't happening. And I had always thought, I knew Joey Bacchino, and I knew Phil had interest in me. I just knew he did. He would always say hi to me, and, you know, we talked there and there. But he never said, oh, I want you on this team. But I could tell 
<clears throat> he would love to have me. So I asked Serge, I said, call Phil in New York. Uh, I, I, I'd love to go to the Rangers. And he called him. He called me back about 10 minutes later and said, you're going to the Rangers. So that that's how it happened. Now, when I got there, um, I was a little bit in – it was a little bit of a culture shock to me. Like I said, I was still in, in um, you know, that Montreal mindset. I couldn't get – it almost broke me getting traded. I'm telling you. It almost broke me. It, it didn't, but it came, came damn close. Um, my time in New York was difficult because of the fact that I – the injuries started to pile up. You know, I, I hurt my knee, my third game there against the Islanders. Uh, and then I broke my arm twice. I had a hockey hernia. It was like I, you know, I stepped on IED when I got to New York. Uh, things started to go south physically for me. Teammates back then, Ron Gresser, who was a good teammate, good friend of yours to this day. So I think the the team itself, the guys, you really because you're you're a very likable guy. I know that because you and I played a lot of uh, fun exhibition games. You're a likable guy, but that team itself made you feel comfortable. Yeah, I, when I got to New York, the guys were great to me. Kidding me? Uh, <clears throat> especially, um, I think my was my my first game was in Philly. How couldn't they love me? <laughs> you know, I mean, the first game was in Philadelphia. Second game was in Boston. Uh, where I scored my first goal. But the guys were great to me. I mean, you were there for, what, two games, I think. And then you were traded from New York, if I recall. It was about two games we played together. And then, you know, Gresh brought me in, uh, Pisa, uh, <coughs> you know, Brian Mullen, <coughs> Kelly Kissfield, the whole crew, Maloney. You know, everybody was good to me there. I felt uh, comfortable right away. And it just, it was just such a different atmosphere uh, when Phil was running the team there. It was just so different than what I was used to. And, um, the guys made that a lot easier. Yeah, well, it was um, not always an easy role because you spent your career not only a good teammate, but you're a very likable guy, fan favorite. And a lot of it had to do with willing to have to fight the battles. And you're not being a heavyweight. You had to fight the big guys. And so... For the longest time, you did that, and then uh, so for for the most part, it was it was a nice journey for you. But towards there was a time where you kind of had your struggles, and uh, was personal struggles. And I and I think that um, in you've written a book and you've kind of outlined some of the things you went through. So can you share with us some of the days that let's call them dark days for yourself that you talk about? I know you're doing really well now, but why did you write that book? The fighting pot, like you know. I, I, I've heard a lot of fighters interviewed over the years, and they say how much they hated to do it. And, well, I love my job. I love the fact that I was able to have the courage to be able to stand up to bigger, tougher guys and stand up for my teammates. Um, I've always been that way. When I grew up, I stuck up for my friends, I stuck up for family, whatever. I just was always that way. And I. I put a real high value on that as far as my own personal uh, being and who I am. Uh, I always <laughs> pull for that underdog and uh, stick up for people that have a difficult time doing it themselves. So that being said, I love my job. I actually love doing it. There were tough nights. There's no question about it. There were a lot of hard uh, games. 
it was tough on me physically. And in the end, <clears throat> when I retired from hockey, um, I had a difficult time transitioning. Um, you know, I, you can prepare all you want, but you're just never ready for that day. You know what it's like. And some people deal with it better than others. I um, certainly, um, I, I drank way too much um, than I should have been. I a ton of different surgeries. I bunched on my knee, uh, my hands. I had arthritis in my hands, my ankle, a bunch of surgeries. So I had a lot of surgeries. And anyway, I, I got addicted to pain medication. I went from pain medication. Things got worse. I had a difficult time um, in, as far as uh, employment and what I wanted to do. I just never felt comfortable. And um, I got addicted to that pain medication. I was a slave to it. And I eventually ended up on heroin. Um, and it was a real dark, ugly, horrible place to be. Uh, I got myself there. You know, I know a lot of people in the media sometimes try and connect the dots and say, oh, it's because he was a fighter in hockey and it took its toll on him. Listen, it has much to do with what I did as a hockey player as it has to do with what my life was like when I was five seven, eight, nine, ten, my teenage years, you know, my formative years, my teenage uh, teenage years. Uh, it, it, what happened to me didn't happen just because of one part of my life. It happened to me because of my entire life. The, the, whole, uh, the whole series of events, you can't narrow it down to just one thing. So it encompassed my whole life. Um, that being said, uh, I was numbing the physical pain there's no question but also the emotional pain and that <clears throat> got me into a real bad place and once I was um, caught up in the the drugs um, once you're physically addicted it's you, you just need it I mean I it wasn't a question of getting high it was a question of uh, keeping from being sick every day you, you don't get high anymore you just stay well and you're a slave to the drugs and that's what happened and you know it was unfortunate i didn't know uh i didn't know how to get out of it i was in a bad bad place i had overdosed a couple times and uh i was fortunate enough to have uh i had a number in my wallet uh a teammate of mine had given me to uh the behavioral health uh part of the National Hockey League and there was a guy's name and phone number on there. <clears throat> it's funny, I was I thought I was doing a good job of hiding my addiction, but I wasn't. And uh I called uh a buddy well, I called the number on there and his name is he's a friend today, but Dan Cronin his name was. I called Dan <laughs> and I said, Hey Dan Cronin? He said, Yeah. So who's this? I said it's it's Chris Nile. And he said, oh, he said, I've been waiting for your phone call. And sure enough, um, he had me on the plane the next day, and I was, uh, I went off to treatment. Um, um, it's the best few uh, months I, I guess I could have spent in my life, changing my life around and being able to learn how to live a sober life, a clean and sober life. And, um yeah, so life's good again. You know, it, it was a difficult time. I accept it. I don't blame it on hockey. I don't blame it on mommy and daddy. I don't blame it on anybody. What happened to me, 
uh, I've dealt with it and I deal with it every day and I going to continue uh, to do that. Uh, so I'm no longer here. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Chris. I've been around you and I'm proud of you. I see your strength. And uh, so you've recorded this in your book. What's the name of your book? Where can they find your book if they wanted a, a good read? Fighting Back uh, is the name of it. Uh, it's been a, a few years now, uh, probably on Amazon, any of the, the sites. And if they want to listen to you, you're on TSN Radio 690 Montreal, correct? Yeah, you can listen online, stuff like that. I'm on between noon and 3 uh, every day. And on Twitter, at KnucklesNylon30. Listen, Chris. Great talking with you. Great sharing because it, it's um, a new decade, new beginnings for some people. And I like to think someone out there is listening to this today. Uh, it's going to make a difference for them because we're all having to make changes in our lives. You did. You're a good role model. And thanks for being on the show, my friend. I appreciate it, dude. And I wish you luck with the show. Uh, again, you're a, you've been a good friend to me. I love seeing you when we're on the road there. And, uh, uh, It's been a lot of fun, so uh, we'll see you uh, in the new year here. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. That's a wrap for Episode 5 on Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown for making it happen. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Twitter at RonDuGate10. Thanks for listening to the show and all the support so far. Happy New Year. See you next Thursday.